Welcome to Flipping the Script, a podcast for women of color by women of color, helping you to not just navigate your way through change, but to embrace it. I am your host, Michelle Words. Nicole Johnson is blazing trails as the president and CEO of Rusty Rabbit Incorporated, a global brand management and business development company, and owner of the first Black-owned and women-owned champagne brand in Europe. Nicole shares with us the challenges that she has persevered through, both in business and personally, and valuable advice that she gives to women looking to move abroad. Let's get to it. I am not where you want to be, trying to navigate life, but it's hard to see, yeah. I am struggling to make a change. We're coming to me now is the perfect chance. With flipping the script, so you'll find your way to help you embrace any trials you face. With flipping the script, conquer every day. We're helping you find your happy place. Nicole Johnson is best known as the international bootlegger. She is the president and CEO of Rusty Rabbit International, headquartered in Soho, London, and Dallas, Texas. Rusty Rabbit International is a global brand management and business development agency that leaps products from design to distribution, prototype to promotion, and concept to completion. Nicole founded Rusty Rabbit International as a procurement business designing and sourcing promotional products for an extensive client portfolio. Working with high-end distilling clients led Nicole to discover a gap in the market for 360 support of her existing clientele, expanding her business into what it is now, a successful global spirits distributor. Today, Nicole is the youngest and only African-American woman-owned liquor importer, exporter, and distributor in the world. Nicole is also now the first Black woman-owned champagne brand in the United Kingdom. Lapin Rouet Champagne is the first offering from Rusty Rabbit Drinks. She collaborated with her other company, Rusty Rabbit Makes, to create and manufacture the packaging bottle and overall final deliverable. Nicole is in persistent pursuit of education and improvement. She is a graduate of Florida A&M University's School of Business and Industry. She holds a dual degree in business administration with a concentration in marketing and international affairs. She also holds a master's of business administration degree in global management from the University of Phoenix. She regularly participates in discussion panels, sharing her wealth of knowledge and hard-earned experience with her peers. Nicole is an avid traveler, the foundations for the international business she has built, and the exciting diverse portfolio of global brand clients she has curated. Nicole, welcome to Flipping the Script. Thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate the time and the opportunity to be here. I am so excited to have you because 
I've been watching your progress throughout the years, and I am so proud and excited to know you. Oh, wow. Thank you. So let's talk about, we're going to start from the beginning because I want our listeners to know how we cross paths and how our history is intertwined. <laughs> Ooh, how much time do we have? <laughs> I know, right? We'll, we'll make a long story short, kind of. <laughs> so anyway, so you and I basically met as on social media, right? Absolutely. We met in one of the travel groups, either No Madness, Vacations, one of those. Then we were linked by a mutual friend when I came over to Doha. Okay. So the first time I met you was when you came to Doha. Yes. Yes. So you and I get to talking. We find out that we're from the same area in Los Angeles. So you know how it is, you know, living abroad. First people say, well, where are you from? You say the United States, you know, you don't, you don't narrow it down because you're like, ah, I'm American. Then right. if you're like, oh, which state? Then you say, well, I'm from California because then, you know, okay, well, then they might drill down to that far. And then usually it stops there. Oh, we're in California. <laughs> so then we'll normally say Los Angeles because, you know, of course, nobody's going to have heard of the Valley unless you've been there or it's Lakeview Terrace, right? Correct. So, then you're like, I grew up in that area. So now we're drilling down even further and find out that we attended the same church, Calvary Baptist mm-hmm. Church, although I'm a little bit older than you are. So we're not <laughs> the same generation. But I know Nicole's grandmother. And when I was growing up, I used to love to sit. Was she a, was she a deacon or she usher a or both? She was a deaconess. A deaconess. And That's all my what I mm-hmm. Because I would go sit in the front sometimes uh, with Mother Broadus. <laughs> my mother still laughs about that, how I like to go sit with Mother <laughs> Broadus during church. And and I know your mother, and of course, you know, she liked to discipline the kids <laughs> when we yes, cutting up did. at church. Yes. So I absolutely knew her. So it was just funny to find out, you know, that. We go back to my childhood, really. And I don't know how you and I never actually crossed paths back then. I know it's crazy because I was always in the front of the church doing something for the church with my grandmother, my mom. She was over Sunday school. My dad was the chairman of the deacon board. Pastor was my godfather. (laughs) Mandy Cupid's my godmother. (laughs) It was just one of those things. How did that never happen? (laughs) I don't know, but I know all everybody that you've named so it's like I don't know how you and I I guess just with the little age difference was just enough that because I actually graduated from high school when I was 16 and then you know I was on my way to college so I was gone got Uh, it you know probably by the time you were really running around there but anyway yes we have long history so tell me a little bit more about your background because I know you went to FAMU you have University of Phoenix What is it that made you choose your career path? Oh, that's a really good question. So going back to Calvary, um, when I was at, when I was growing up, I just knew I was going to be a trauma surgeon for whatever reason. That was my thing. I, I used to watch, what was that name of that show? It was a doctor show. It came on all the time. It had LaSalle, Eric LaSalle. And so I used to watch all the, I I can't remember the name of it, but I used to watch it all the time. 
And I was just, I'm going to be a trauma surgeon. This is going to be my life. Fast paced. Great. But then I got to high school and I realized I don't like math in any shape, form or fashion. So I was like, that's not going to work. And then again, I'm a very personable person. I like to talk. I like to understand. My dad, he blessed me with the gift of travel. So when I was young, I used to travel with my family and we would, you know, go to different places. And I learned that I like to explore. Um, so a lot of these things just started to cultivate and to to intertwine together. When I was graduating high school, I had several scholarships across the country to run track. Unfortunately, my mom had gotten breast cancer. So I stayed in California, you know, while she was going through that my, my freshman year of college. Um, but then when she was better, she was like, get out of here. And I was like, okay. So I accepted my full scholarship to Florida A&M University. Um, I used to run track. I originally was going to go to run track, but I became injured. But my GPA was 4, 4.0, 4.2 graduated out of high school. So they still gave me a full academic scholarship. So that's how I ended up at FAMU. My cousin went there. She championed it. So I thought I was going with her. Come to find out she had transferred back to Georgia by the time I got there. So it was all fun. It was a new experience. It was one where I got to find myself. I knew I wanted to be in business. I didn't know what I wanted to do in business, whether it was marketing, advertising. I knew it wasn't accounting because I don't do math. <laughs> so I just, I kept studying. But then I also, during that time, had decided that I loved, liked law. So I was trying to figure out how business and law met. And unfortunately, during that time, you didn't really have very many people outside of maybe Johnny Cochran um, or things of that nature that you saw, which was criminal. And that was not at all what I wanted to do. So I, in my very young 18-year-old mind, could never understand how to intertwine business and law. And I thought I would go to business school, then I would go to law school, and I would figure it out from there. As I was in business school, I did a few internships, and I worked for Ann Taylor. And I started to look at and understand the retail sector everything from your point of sales, the merchandising that's done in the store. And I was fascinated by that. And that's kind of what led me down that path. Okay. So immediately after graduating from undergrad, then you actually worked in the fashion industry? Yeah. So I worked for Ann Taylor while I was in college. Immediately okay. after graduating, I actually went to work for Sears. I was a procurement director or a procurement manager for them, a line manager. Sears bought Kmart probably six months after I got to Chicago. They let all of the new recruits and new employees go when they did the merger. So then I got picked up by McDonald's and then I worked for McDonald's up until the economic downturn happened. When that happened, I came back, asked them would they terminate my non-compete clause which would allow me to still work as an independent contractor for them, but also with other than merchandising. But by that time, I had gotten to the operations, logistics, and procurement side, and I was realizing that I was really good at it. So sourcing materials, sourcing the things that went in store, finding new relationships, finding business development partners to do cross collaborations with. At the time, you know... <laughs> cross-collaboration wasn't as big as it is now, you know, and it, I'm, it's funny because I make that seem like it was so long ago, but looking at the clock, <laughs> 
it was a few years ago. Time but flies. I got to expand my her- my horizons that way. Okay, I'm making an assumption that you actually worked with spirits before you moved abroad or or did you move abroad and then enter into that arena and what led you to moving to was it was the UK your first country abroad? Uh, no. So my abroad living started with McDonald's. I, you know, obviously I was opening up their international locations and I was in Australia, Japan, India. I had been here in the UK before France. Um, so I had already started my, my global travel as far as like work was concerned. But uh, spirits, both of my parents are directors, are um, retired as directors or executives for Anheuser-Busch. So I swore up and down, I would never work in alcohol. (laughs) No way, no chance. That's their bag. I want to find my own lane, which had me in the food side. But because I do procurement, I do label design, I design retail stores and the merchandising that goes with it. I had a couple of people that had reached out and was like, hey, I'm launching these lines or can you help? And so I started with a company called Anastasia Vodka. They were out of DC and we were able to help with cultivating and making their bottle. They have a very unique bottle. And it was like one of my first tasks in the spirits. And I realized like one, how good I was at it. Two, that it met what was already a hobby for me. I love spirits. I am my daddy's child. I am a scotch, whiskey, cigar smoking, Mm -hmm. motorcycle riding young lady. (laughs) But, you know, these are things that I had been cultivating as I was matriculating through my career and through things of that nature. So that was my first spirits company. And then as I, it's pretty much in our industry, it's word of mouth. You always want to know who designed that, who made that. Who crafted that spirit? Who's the distiller? Whatever the it is that makes that process work, you want to know who those people are. So my name started to get passed around. Um, I was brought over here by another spirits company, a, um, an English Scottish blend uh, whiskey company, and they asked me to come and design their retail store. So that's how I ended up in the UK, and that was seven years ago. Okay. So then what made you want to then launch your own business? Um, well, I had been working as myself. So when when the economic downturn happened for the States, McDonald's had let go, you know, all of their high ticket, you know, price points and executives and things of that nature. So I was already working as an independent contractor. I wasn't working for anyone. And at the time it was the UDE group, uh, which is uniquely dynamic enterprises. Um, and so that had just matriculated as I've gone. Um, that was basically a hired gun. I never wanted to stay anywhere. I watched my parents and there's nothing wrong with it, but I watched my parents work for companies for 36 and 32 years. I can't imagine it. I can't, I was telling um, someone last night, I literally can't imagine going to the same place for a month, less alone, <laughs> you know, every day for 36 and 32 years. I didn't want that to be me. So I've always just had that mindset of, okay, I can go to these various projects, take care of these tasks. And most of my projects were three, six, nine, 
12, 24 months. They never really went more than two years. So it allowed me to go to different locations, travel the world, still be able to expand my horizons while still working and, you know, growing. Fabulous. So what challenges did you face and do you face then in owning a business outside of the United States? Ooh. Well, I I started my agency. So after I finished the project in Scotland, an American company asked me what I helped them with their global expansion. So I, for three years, expanded them. At the time, I was holding out to see if you know I was going to go against my rule and work for one particular company or not. But as I was going to these trade shows and as I was seeing what was happening in the global market and I was seeing the gap that American companies had no idea about of how to successfully come into this market if you're not a Diageo or Pernod, um, you know, uh, LVHM, I was now a service that I was able to offer of consulting. And so because I originally did most things on my own or found, you know, contractors or found whoever I needed for that project, I was like, okay, I really have a general sense of what's needed to successfully launch these brands into market. So I decided in 2019 to formulate my own agency. So that's how Rusty Rabbit International came about. Rusty Rabbit Makes was already there. That's our promotional marketing procurement company, but that just does products. So it wasn't necessarily anything that was too labor intensive and I could just do on my own. But with the agency, I didn't want to do the logistics, the ops, the operations, the marketing, the social media, the activations, um, the accounting. I didn't want to do all of that. So that's how I ended up formulating a team. It's I mean, obviously you have to be a resident or, you know, um, have, I have an entrepreneurship visa. So I have a tier three visa that I came over on. And I, when you, when you file for these visas, you're supposed to have a skill set that's not readily available and not really understood. Well, for me to be able to say, Hey, I'm teaching American companies how to bring products into and sell into this country. It's, you know, it was, it was a niche market that I was fulfilling so that aspect of it, it wasn't too difficult, but of course you're, you have that here. We were going through tariff um, issues because of, you know, various presidencies, our, the alcohol system here is completely different than the States. It's not a three tier system. So I had to secure my alcohol license. I had to secure my wholesale license. I had to secure my bonded warehouse license. So all of those things probably took the most time. But once I had them, we were fully ready to go. Okay. So then what made you launch the champagne brand specifically then? So the champagne brand was launched. People always ask me, what do you do? I'm like, you know, I have Rusty Rabbit International. It's a full service business development firm. It's import, export, distribution. And what we ended up doing or what I've ended up doing is I've ended up splitting the companies out into four. So Rabbit International is still the business development arm that handles everything outside of spirits. Rabbit Spirits handles import-export distribution. Rabbit Drinks is what our own personal, the champagne, falls under, and then still Rabbit makes. The champagne was launched because I was already working on my own ready-to-go cocktail. 
I want it to, I, as you know, I love my spirits. I love my drinks. I love my cocktails. What I was seeing in the market, you know, and ready to drinks are the cans. Um, they're pre-made your white claws. I think, um, simply lemonade just announced they're having one. They're heavy in the market, but they're canned and they don't have the same flavor as if I went into a bar and asked for an old fashioned. So what I was like looking at is, okay, I have these brands. What is a marketing tool? I'm always looking at what's the best way to market and utilize. And I hate spending money and I hate costing my clients money. So I'm always looking at how do you collaborate collectively, but in the most efficient way. So I was formulating some cocktails that would feature the brands that we already carried in our portfolio um, that we would be able to make and sell out. And that was going to be our marketing ploy as this is what we do. Let This is how we explain it of we can take a brand from scratch, build it into a product, put it into market. Here's the marketing campaigns that go with it. Here's the advertising that goes with it. Here's the route to market as far as putting it into retail. And then here's distribution. Here's moving it from country to country. If I show you how we do it, then you understand how we can do it for you. So then COVID happened. So that kind of changed all the production capabilities and things to that nature. My vineyard, I always check in with my vineyards and my distillers. Obviously, champagne got hit one of the hardest because hotels shut down, weddings couldn't happen, graduations were done. All the things that you are normally thinking about celebrating with champagne is no longer available. And they got hit really hard. So I was talking to one of my vineyards and we have a really great relationship and he was like, you know, Nicole, do you think you can help me sell the wines? Do you? I was like, how about we make our own line? I've got the clientele. I already have the route to market. And if you, I don't know how it was, you know, all over, but here in the UK and Europe, the shelves were empty. They were looking for product because again, everything had halted. So it was one of two things of, it's something I love to drink. I go there every September for harvest anyway. It's something that I know quite a bit about, but then also it gave me the opportunity and it wasn't very costly for me to build it because I make it myself, right? So my creative director and I, we literally thought of the idea on a Thursday night. By Monday morning, the whole brand was put together. The brand guide, the looks, the books, I presented it to Harvey Nichols. They loved it. They took it and was like, can we have it in time for Christmas? And I was like, yep. And so then yeah, I just got to work. So initially it was literally just supposed to be gifting items, right? Like you send them out, you thank your clients or, you know, when you're trying to court someone, but then it took off. Right. And so I was like, okay, well, let me cultivate it just like I would one of my clients. Wow. Okay. So that COVID actually helped you out in that case, right? <laughs> yeah. COVID was actually good to me. I never got COVID. Thank God. COVID was really good for our business because we're in spirits. Everybody, at least again, I don't know how it was around the rest of the world, but here we can ship alcohol. We don't have a lot of the stipulations like they did in the States where they were just trying to figure out how to like deliver it. So we could get people bottles next day or they could pick up outside or so we were doing well on the e-commerce side we COVID was actually very good to us 
the thing that took me out was my health. <laughs> so it was just one of those, those type of things. Yes. So that's actually something that I want to talk about next is that I know that you've had some health issues. So how do you find your treatment in the UK? Uh, how well are they taking care of you there? And in comparison to the US, what would you say? So I went back to the US in August. Well, let me go back to how it started. In February of 2020, I had a very vain moment. I've always had perfect teeth. I've always had a perfect smile. It's it's my signature. It's the thing I've got going for me. It's the small look. <laughs> As you, you know, my family, you know that look. We all look like mm-hmm. each other. And I noticed I had like these little gaps and I was like, mm. you know, and as I went to dentist, I was like, what's happening? He was like, you're growing. He's like, you're getting older. Things are moving. They're loosening up. I was like, no, 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 no. This can't happen. So I went in to get braces on my bottom teeth. You know, you have to do your scans, things to that. So I did my scans. He called and was like, hey, I need you to come in. So I came in and I'm thinking, oh, I'm about to get fitted. Are you going to tell me what my options are? He was like, he showed me this cluster on the scan in my mouth. And I was like, what is that? He's like, I'm not sure, but I want you to go to this oncologist and, you know, make sure rule out that it's nothing. And I was like, oncologist, my mouth, like, what, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um and so I was like, okay, so I made the appointment, but then I, I had somewhere to go and I started traveling again. And so then COVID hit and it was the furthest thing from my mouth. Plus dentist offices were closed. Like if it wasn't emergency surgery at the time, you know, they weren't taking anything elective and I didn't think it was that, you know, big of a right. deal. So I just kept doing what I was doing, went to work, everything else. November or October of 2020, um, I wasn't feeling well one day and I couldn't put my finger on, like it was nothing hurt, you know, like my stomach didn't hurt. I didn't have a headache. I just didn't feel well. And so it made me go back to, oh, I never went to the doctor to find out. So I made an appointment, did all of my scans. Um, I had surgery in November, a biopsy surgery in November, just to see what was going on. I found out in January that they felt like that they wanted me to come in for another biopsy in my gynecological region. I've, I've always had issues there. Um, I had a hysterectomy when I was 30. You know, just I've, I've just had, it's, it's been the, the bane of my existence. So I came back. I went home in February because I wanted to also get tested and have the same test. So I went to Cedar Sinai in LA, did the whole batch of tests. And so both doctors came back with the same results that I had vaginal cancer and that they wanted to remove the tumor that was growing on the back of some scar tissue that I had, I guess, assumed from many surgeries I had before. So I was like, okay, I'm going home and I'm going to do it here because I live here, medical, my medical insurance is free. You know, I have private insurance. My private insurance doesn't cost me a car, you know, and and I would be at home in my own space and bed. So I chose to do it here. What was supposed to be a two to three week recovery um, ended up being a three month recovery. Um, I ended up getting a liver infection and, and I fell. And so there were some things that had to be like redone. It just became a, a thing. And so it's not necessarily where I feel like is the care 
at that time was a care better here. It was just more so of extenuating circumstances. I felt like exasperated the situation. So I was fine. Fast forward to August. I go both in the States. I went home to LA for an entire month. I had another surgery there for a biopsy. They had already done it the end of July here. Again, they swapped notes. And unfortunately, my it advanced to stage two vaginal cancer. So it was okay. This is what we want to do. Now, this is where you have a difference of treatment of care. I believe in the States, it's more so, I'll just say it, money-driven than it is care-driven. And here it's more, mm-hmm. they're, they're very, in the UK, they're, they're very cognizant about the standard of care and doing everything they can that prevents you from either having to have surgery, having to take medicine, having to do you know, anything extraneous. And that's something that I love because I've had nutritionists. I had a holistic doctor. Like I like to go that way. I don't take meds. I don't even take aspirin. I take vitamins, you know, things of that nature. And so I felt mm-hmm. that the treatment of care and what was being advised would be better suited here. Also the, the radiation treatment particular type that they wanted me to have, the States would not one, give it to me. And two, if I did it privately, it would have literally cost me probably a million, million and a half. I don't have that. So it wasn't something that I was willing to bankrupt myself. You know what I'm saying? Like I saved my life, but I live under a bridge. (laughs) So it was Mm -hmm. one of those things if you make that decision. Plus again, this is my home. My home is here. My, My life is here. My comfortability is here. My friends are here. So I decided to do the radiation here. I had an amazing home care company team. Magda, I I will shout her out to the days I die, has taken such immaculate care of me. You know, it was everything full service. Take me from my home to the doctor, through my treatment, stay through the treatment, bring me home from the treatment, stay with me two, three hours, come back in the morning. Like it was this whole schedule. So while I don't have family here, it's still, I was still taken care of, if that makes sense. Good. And that's that's service that you would not have received in the United States outside of your family. Absolutely. You know? Like or or it would have as cost you a small getting fortune. You take care and all of that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And these are things that, you know, I want to talk about because, you know, of course I talk a lot about the benefits of living abroad, but there's also a lot of challenges and issues and you want to know how they're gonna be handled outside of the United States or outside of your home country, whichever it is. And it's really good to know that you have received exceptional care and, you know, care that you believe that you received outside of the United States that you would not have been able to affordably receive inside of the United States. Absolutely. And and the UK is my second country. Um, The first country I received care from was Germany. Um, I, again because I've traveled all over the world, the standard, I'm not knocking any particular country, especially not my home country, but the standard of care and the the research and the options to do everything that doesn't cause you harm is completely different here, I feel, 
than the States. So, excuse me, when I had my, the gynecological issues I was having after my, after my hysterectomy, I was going to Germany to get treated. So there's a clinic called Hoofland Clinic. I love them. They love me. They take care of me. When this situation happened, if it wasn't for COVID and because I can't get vaccinated, so I'm not vaccinated. But if it wasn't for COVID Mm -hmm. and travel restrictions and things like that, I probably would have done everything there. But again, I've just received such immaculate care between the two countries. I will most likely always have any medical or major medical done between the two countries versus going home. Now, of course, you don't have your family. Of course, that puts a little bit of a strain. You have those really bad days and those really bad nights and you want them, but I'd rather have standard of care, quality of care in my life, you know what I'm saying, versus a, a fleeting moment. Yes, absolutely. I understand that. So currently then, what what is your path or what's the next steps for you? Health-wise, first of all. Um, health-wise, so I'm not fully recovered. I did four months of radiation from September until December 31st. So I, there's there needs to be a break. So I'm currently in that break state. I started physical therapy because again, it was in my gynecological region. My hips and my lower back took a brunt of hurt in relation to my movement and my motor skills and things to that nature. So I'm in physical therapy, dealing with like my walking and my alignment. I've lost a significant amount of weight, (laughs) which, you know, for vanity's sake, Mm -hmm. yay, go me. But also, it's also that is a stress (laughs) of, you know, that's a stressor on the body. So it's tightening all of that up. And um, I haven't, I think I had my first real meal actually last night. I I hadn't been eating actual physical food. I do smoothies two times a day. And I found this soup company here called Refresh. And I do those two types of two times a day. They're fresh. um, They're blended down, but it was the only thing that I could keep down. So between the mental of, I didn't want to throw up and just everything that goes on top of that, I was very cautious about what I was putting in my mouth and, you know, things like that. I ordered a, a juice. I, I can't drink for probably anymore, which is hard for me. I have a champagne business. I work in spirits. It's one of my favorite pastimes, but I am not drinking. So last night I ordered a um, non-alc, basically juice, and I took a sip and it was like a, a mm. ru- it, it was it was a lot. I was like, okay, I can't have this. <laughs> Yeah. And so I'm just like, I'm just going to stick with my sparkling water. That that works for me. So it's just some life changes. For now. Yeah. Yeah, for now. But I feel like 50% better than I did when I probably talked to you in like December. You know what I'm saying? So Good. Good to know that. So now then what's next for your business? What's next for Rusty Rabbit? So the champagne company has launched their new rosé. That is on the site. We built a brand new site. We now have shipping capabilities via some of our our platforms, Reserve Bar, Harvey Nichols, Master of Malt. We can ship to 142 countries, all 50 states. You know, so that's helped with like our expansion as well as I've secured, you know, some licenses, um, additional licenses because 
wine is in a different, obviously it's a completely different category and completely different process than spirits. So it's not as stringent as a spirits is. So that's helped open some doors. So with the Rosé launching, we've been able to secure some importers. So we landed a really great importer out of California. So we're starting with them called The Alchemist. We're working with an import chain in Australia. We just had a really great meeting with one out of Brazil. So probably by the end of February, when our production goes out, we'll be shipping to seven countries. Fabulous. You know, I'm curious, since we're both travelers, then uh, would you be able to go into like the duty-free stores in the airports and stuff? Is that a... Yeah. So that's, that would be something. Duty-free is amazing because duty-free gives you volume, but duty-free, what it does is it kills you a margin. So if we're able to get a great deal, as far as like, we know when you go to duty-free, you know that you're not going in to make money. Essentially it's marketing. It's for people to know more about your brand. It's for them to pick up in their airport, to take home to whomever. It's so that it travels quickly Mm -hmm. across the world. It helps with your distribution and things like that. So if we can get, if we can negotiate a good number, I would love to be in duty free. Um, But that's also a volume play. So you're talking about anywhere from 200 to 300,000 bottles because you're in the duty-free airports, right? right? So you're, you're talking about all over the world. So I don't know if we're ready to do that or if we would just take like one airport, like maybe a Heathrow or Glasgow or even a Stansted, you know, one of the smaller and, and go from that. But that's just kind of what we're looking at. Okay. So, you know, I'm going to be looking for you in the airport, but in the meantime, I will be placing my order. (laughs) Now, you know, I'm in Saudi Arabia, so unfortunately I will not be able to have it delivered here, but I'm going to have it waiting for me when I get to the States this summer. Yes. And, and we have these new champagne totes that we handcrafted. There's this amazing company. Her name is Helen. She's out of Dallas, but her family is from Kenya And so we have completely 100% fair trade that we have done in collaboration with them. We have some glassware that's coming. So we're we're adding, you know, some some things to the mix and we're super excited about it. And I'm excited too. And I'm ordering all of it. I've seen, (laughs) you know, we'll, we'll give you guys the web address for you to be able to place orders, but I've been on the website. I've seen the pictures. The totes look very nice. So, um, yeah, I'm excited about having that in my collection. So now, what advice do you have then for women considering, first of all, moving abroad, and then secondly, starting a business abroad? Um, Advice for moving abroad. Know your reasons why. I know we're in a lot of groups, you know, there's a lot of like Facebook groups or Instagram groups or whatever. There's a lot of talk. I have a really great friend, Shar Winter. She has this fabulous app called the Expat app. And there's a lot of dialogue that happens on there. And so one of the things that we are being cognizant of is people are like, oh, I just want to leave the States or I just want to go to Africa or I just want to go to, and you're like, well, where in Africa or where in the UK? Because coming to London is a lot different from going to Manchester. Or when I came to the UK, my first place that I stopped was Glasgow. So 
that's a completely different city than Edinburgh, which is right, you know, 45 minutes on the train. So you kind of have to know, research, visit. Before you move anywhere, visit these places. And when I say visit, I don't mean like be there for two or three days, like stay for a month, you know, see the different locations. How does something look in the daytime versus how it looks at night? What's the nightlife? What's the noise level, depending on what you do? Again, how far you're going time zones. If you're working remotely, make sure that that coincides with if you have something that you have to do at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and you're in Australia, it's like a 17 hour difference. You know what I'm saying? So now you're missing out of whole days or you're burning out just these different things of considering all of the factors around it. I don't discourage anyone. I say go move in a heartbeat. Obviously, I used my 20s to gallivant across the globe and you can, you know, have a little bit more flexibility and freedom. But just know that wherever you decide to put down roots, have a really clear understanding of the local area, the legalities, you know, make sure that you have your paperwork in order. One of the things I tell people is get the travel insurance as well as if you have your estate planning and your end of life insurance and care, things like that. It was something I did before I moved here, but it was also something I made sure was up to date. If I passed away, like the way my insurance is for, um, I'm with I'm with Eternal Valley and Dignity Health. The way my insurance is, is that I'm covered for them to take my body from here back home and, you know, fulfilled my end of life, you know, terms and stuff like that. Yes. I've had some friends, we all have had some friends that have unfortunately lost their lives across, you know, the waters and things like that. And it's been a whole ordeal in, in, in getting them back or even just in medical and different things like that. So make sure that you look at all those factors because it's very important. I agree with you wholeheartedly. But you know what? I didn't do any of that before I moved abroad. <laughs> it's like, okay, I agree with I you. I didn't fully. either. I and didn't I either. That's it. why I could tell people like, yeah. hey. <laughs> I mean, as far as visiting the country, like I had never been to the Middle East when I packed up and literally moved to the Middle East. But I had done a lot of research and I knew people there. So I said, okay. And, and as you said before, if you don't like it, you can go back home. But the insurance things, yep. I absolutely agree with you about that. Need to have yourself protected The good thing is if you move abroad with an employer, then it's possible that that will be covered by your employer. So like in the Middle East, Mm -hmm. repatriation of my body is part of my package with my employment. So they will pay to ship my body back to the United States. That's what I call repatriation. I could not figure it out. I'm like, what's that word? (laughs) That word. Yes, but that is, it's very costly. And so it is very important. Absolutely. And then you were talking about with business, with business, again, it's the same thing. Know your laws, know your tax structure, know your filings. You know, for here, we have companies house. We have to do VAT registration. If we're making over a certain amount, you have to do your, the, the tax structure here is vastly different from the States. You know what I'm saying? So you want to get a good accountant that's in that location. Um, And then be cognizant that you're not in the United States. You're in the country that you're in. So depending on whatever your product or service is, you have to take that mindset out of it. So sometimes I always say Americans can sometimes be the worst travelers just because we think that we're the best in everything. (laughs) 
and you get to these other places and not necessarily that it's a challenge, but you are actively trying to convince these group of people or wherever you are to think like you. And that is normally people's fail right out the gate. So have an open mind. Again, do your research, sit back, see how your particular product or service works in that place, and then kind of go from there. But I will always say, go for it. What's what's the worst that can happen? You fail. Okay, start over again. That's just my my viewpoint behind it. But you know, I know that can be terrifying for others. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so now are you planning to move back to the US or is the UK your home? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, when I left, so what I will say is this is the longest that I've had roots in a place. Um, so I've been here in the in London for four years, um, at least in my house that I have here. And so I'm having the itch. It is something that I've, you know, been actively talking about amongst friends, just of there's still a big world out there. I'm single, I have no children. So I still like to have that availability to move. And just because I think I've been bedridden for nine months and I'm tired of these four walls, I'm like, I need to get back out there. Um, My next location, if I do move, is definitely Portugal. Um, The people, there's a large expat, Black expat community there. The cost of living in London is skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. It's about as expensive as, as New York and L.A., like hand in hand comparatively, just the the beauty, the food, the culture, Portugal will most likely be my next, my next location, or at least my next stint before I come back here. But this home that I'm in will be my permanent residence. Okay. So actually, I wanted to ask you that before, because you talked about the type of visa that you currently have is that visa a path for you to citizenship or is citizenship an option? It is. Good. Yes, it is. So um, I, I hit seven years this November and then I can apply. Okay. And so what's that process for- there? Just curious. Um. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. So <laughs> I, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's a process. So I did mine. You can do it two different ways. You can go from your visa to resident and from resident to citizen, or you can go straight from your visa to citizen. The cur- the visa that I'm on is no longer offered. So I didn't want to go through the residency and then anything happened and I can't get that particular visa setting back because it allows me to operate my own company. It allows me to hire staff and things like that. So I just, I'm going from my visa to citizenship. Pre-COVID, it was probably like a six-month, three to six-month process. I mean, your lawyers do it. It's not much that you have to do other than turn in what they ask you for. But post-COVID, I'm hearing that it's like a year, year and a half. So even if I do turn my paperwork in November, I don't know where I fall. Okay. Still not bad. Not bad. And the thing that Not at all. And what's nice is it's an English speaking country. So you don't have to worry about knowing the language fluently. Exactly. You know, some countries require you to know their language before they even will give you citizenship. So you don't have that issue. 
<laughs> and so that's like Good. one of the things of that's that's also why like Portugal because I do know that once you do file for citizenship, you have to go back home for a certain amount of time, or you have to at least leave the country for a certain amount of time, and then they they give it to you, and then you come back. So I will probably do that portion of my downtime, quote unquote, in Portugal. All right, Nicole. It was wonderful talking to you. Any final words that you would like to give the, the listeners? My slogan is focus or fold. You either focus on something and you go after it or you fold. You only have one life. Live it to the best of your ability. But of course, you know, be smart about the decision you make. And Black women and ladies, take care of your bodies, take care of your health. I know we are prone and driven to always feel like we're strong and we have to carry the burden and all of that, it's okay for you to take care of yourself. And so that's that's my caveat and will probably be my, I'll probably put on a t-shirt tomorrow, <laughs> is, you know, it's okay to, to lay that burden down and take care of you. Very good. Good final words. Thank you so much, Nicole, for very being on Thank my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, one more thing. Yes, ma'am. What's your website for us to all order? Yes. So it is www.lapinroulle.com. That is www.lapinroulle.com. Okay. And I will also have that included in your, your show notes, the bio, so that they'll be able to click on the link. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you. Hey, you guys. Nicole and I have partnered together to bring you an exciting offer. You will receive 15% off of your order of any La Ponrue products when you enter FTS15 during checkout. FTS15 during checkout. That means you can try the new rose at 15% off. This offer is valid until March 30th, 2022, or while supplies last. Also, giveaway alert! We will be giving a bottle of La Pan Rue rose to one lucky winner. Visit Flippin' the Script podcast on Instagram for more details. Thank you for listening to this episode of Flipping the Script. If you like what you have heard, please make sure to subscribe to get notified of future episodes. Also, I would appreciate it if you would write a review and share with your friends. And I want to hear from you. Feel free to drop me a line and let me know what you thought about this week's episode or to suggest any future topics that you would like for me to explore. Or you can just stop by and say hello. You can reach me at flippinthescript.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at flippinthescript. Want to continue the discussion? I also have a private group for ladies only on Facebook. I look forward to hearing from you. Bye for now. We're flipping the script so you'll find your way to help you embrace any trials you